This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. Thank you so much to my patrons. They make this podcast possible and also very fun to do because we are able to interact on a private discord where we can talk, discuss topics, and just in general help each other collect the things that we want. So thank you so much to everyone who participates there. I couldn't appreciate you more. This episode is also brought to you by myself. If you haven't already heard, I've been working on a passion project called Cardfolio. It's going to be an app that'll let you scan your cards onto your phone and add them to your virtual binder. Your virtual binder allows you to keep track of not only what you own, but you'll also be able to keep track of what you need. Are you chasing a shadowless master set? If so, Cardfolio will be able to help you keep track of your progress towards your goal so that it makes it easier to achieve it. Cardfolio doesn't just catalog your collection and manage your collecting goals, it will also allow you to see your collection like an actual investment portfolio. This means you'll be able to see how much your collection is worth, how that value has changed over time, and how your collection value breaks down by item type. For example, how much do you have in raw cards versus slab cards versus sealed items? If all of this sounds like an app you would like to download, then join my early access waiting list. I'll keep you updated with app progress, mockups, and when it's available, early beta access. So it'll be fun and it'll be great. The link for the early access waiting list will be in the description below. So go ahead and sign up if that's something that you're interested in. Hello, my friends, and welcome to season three of the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast, where we apply financial and investing principles to our favorite hobby collectibles like Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, comic books, Fortnite cards, you name it, we talk about it all. Thank you so much for being here. I am your host, Jess. So let's get started with collecting things that we love like damn adults. Here's today's episode. Cool. Um, it looks like we are live. So before we get started, what I'd really like to do um, is, you know, honestly, most of the people that I think most of my listeners that I think will probably listen to this are already going to know about you. Because one thing I noticed with my listeners, they listen to very analytical, technical people like Reserved Investments, you, Pokegal. So, I mean, they probably already know who you are. But Jake, uh, I wanted to give you a chance for you to kind of introduce yourself, share us who you are, and I guess, you know, um, talk about you as a collector, talk about you as a content creator, and why you've decided to go down this difficult, difficult path of content creation. And I guess, like, what you want, if people never heard of you, what would you want them to know about you? Sure. Yeah. So I started getting back into Pokemon, which is really where I, um, came back into like card collecting hobbies at all i got back in about five-ish years ago um and yeah i just found like my cards at my mom's house and looked them up online started watching youtube videos went down the rabbit hole and yeah just like got really into into collecting and i i also honestly was kind of like amazed at how cheap these things were for how much i really liked them uh, particularly the vintage stuff. So I, you know, went pretty 
crazy with it and bought tons and tons of stuff. And um, yeah. And then I, you know, I, I always viewed it as a investment potential and compared it to, I thought there was like tremendous upside when I compared it to the prices of, you know, things like comic books and, you know, sports cards and even at the time some magic the gathering you know alpha stuff so i and i just thought that pokemon you know pokemon was the biggest franchise in the world a hundred you know hundred billion dollar franchise five times bigger than marvel and yet somehow the cards hadn't taken off or taken off in a way that like made sense to me when we when we compared it to to some of these other hobbies that have you know really big ips but not as big of an ip as as pokemon so that that was all going on for me um i started my channel about like um, a little over a year ago, like a year and a few months. And I really started it at the beginning of the the pandemic because I had like extra time and I it was just like, yeah, there's like, ba there's barely any content on this subject. I think at that time it really was just like the only one doing like really analytical stuff. And he wasn't even honestly doing like that much deep diving stuff. There was kind of like nothing. It really was like Rudy was the channel that I, you know, Rudy yeah. was the channel that I think I, connected with the most even though i you know some of his takes are hilarious and and you know i think he's intentionally being ridiculous and these types of things but there's also like you know really important messages and and all sorts of things and i he just i think he's just super passionate about all this stuff and just like loves it and there's something about his his whole vibe that just like so much appeal to me even though i didn't really come from from magic so much um, and then SM Pratt a little bit, but I sort of like looked around and it was sort of like, there wasn't anyone in the Pokemon space making any like financial economic -y collecting content. And so I started my channel at the same time. I think like a ton of people had the exact same feeling evidently and ideas. There was like tons of channels started like right around mine. Um, and, and a little bit after and since then. So it's a very different landscape. I doubt that I would do it now. Um, <laughs> to be honest, so it just sort of worked out that way. Um, and uh, yeah, I just was doing it for for like pleasure, enjoyment. I never intended to do it. I think I think that I had, I like trying new things and I like setting goals. So I think I had a goal that I was going to do it for one year. I was going to commit to myself to do it for one year and just see what the experience was like. Because if it was hard or something, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop before that time just to kind of have the full experience. And I ended up really enjoying it. Um, and then I wanted to figure out a way to make it sustainable for me. And part of that is like figuring out how to monetize it or, ha or have it be like some sort of business where I feel like I'm getting paid for those many, you know, de at least a little for like the many hours that it takes to research all these markets and, and have the conversations and all that sort of stuff. And I really like, I would be doing a lot of this anyway, completely for free, but with the amount of it and the content creation part of it, it, it became that. So that's why I started the Patreon and some of these other side businesses. And they, that, for me, it's also fun trying to create my own business, which I've never really done before. Um, I'm probably going to end up doing that in my like career. I'm a, a therapist. I'm probably going to be doing like private practice too. And I'm going to see how much time I spend on that, how much time I spend on this. And I'm going to see like what, what's successful. What am I, what am I enjoying? And that's where, where I guess I am today, just trying to figure out, things that are useful for people studying, learning a lot of other markets. And I'm, I'm um, a huge collector and I've always been, and my, my dad's a huge collector. And I think it just like runs in our genes that we just really like. And I've been watching things like antiques roadshow and 
and uh, you know pawn stars and storage wars and all these like things for for many years i just love that stuff american pickers so i think what cards i think i chose because they're just from my childhood and i connect with them but i think if it wasn't that i'd probably be you know have found something something else that type of thing <laughs> that's awesome and i mean gosh okay I, I love i love your intro because there's so many like ways i could go with it but i guess to start um i i agree with you uh you know back a year two three years ago i mean rudy was the only really the only guy for me that i was following that was doing any kind of financial anything and yeah. And I first, I don't even know how I came across him either, to be honest, but he was the guy that planted the seed that this like nerdy ass shit is considered an asset. And I was like, hold up. Whoa. Like, you know, in my normal day to day, I'm not a financial, I'm not a financial professional. So, you know, to me, there's, I, I have a limited amount of knowledge when it comes to finance, though there are some things that I try to learn just to be more educated um, and make smart decisions. But when he said that, I was like, oh my God, I kind of went down this huge rabbit hole of just exploring things. And I know you've mentioned in, in other videos, you know, when you kind of got started, you were, you were watching how these guys were approaching, uh, you know, pop culture collectibles from an investing perspective. And that taught you how to do what you do now, which is looking at data, looking at charts, um, really trying to find those nuggets of things. Um, and so I, I don't think I've gone down the rabbit hole as deep as you, which is okay. And which is why, you know, you're someone great to bring on just because, you know, if listeners want to go even deeper, well, you know, they can engage with your content and learn those things. Um, so, you know, I've always thought that's really awesome. And I guess like, and something that we talked about briefly before we went on live is, you know, you collect magic. You're one of Rudy's patrons. So you're, you know, buying things from Rudy. Um, what other than Pokemon? Because um, you said you were a collector. Uh, what other, I guess, collectible vectors or uh, no verticals? That's the word. Uh, do you also collect in other than just Pokemon? Sure. Uh, so much. <laughs> um, I collect like 1930s, 1940s, 1950s cards, um, different famous IPs, Disney stuff, uh, Superman stuff, Batman stuff um, from those eras. I collect a lot of top stuff from the 70s, 80s into the 90s. I love like the tops wax boxes and different things. I was about to say. So those are fun and those are so really like cheap when we compare it to like any anything modern in any of these like big three games, right? Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic, Pokemon, it's like you can get these boxes for like still 20, 30 bucks and they're really cool and vintage and they have like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on them or whatever, you know, things I really like, Simpsons, other than <laughs> ones in the 90s. So there's just so much out there that's, and I think part of like what I've really talked about a lot on my channel is like, I'm, I'm worried that there's a mania of sorts going on in certain collectibles for people where they're kind of getting caught up in certain things where there's like so many cool things that are kind of like being <laughs> undervalued. That kind of makes me worry about how, how expensive certain items are. And it doesn't always make sense to me. So I think part of what I do, cause I have a lot of different interests and goals I tend to move kind of from one thing to the next if I feel like that that area is too hot. So those are some of the things I collect. I also collect Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic. And uh, Pokemon is definitely my biggest. Um, I have a pretty large collection of like uh, Dragon Ball Z 
stuff. Nice. The vintage Dragon Ball Z? Yeah, yeah. Some some Japanese um, stuff and then into sort of score, the sort of English Wizards of the Coast kind of <laughs> stuff, you know, <laughs> in the comparison, um, the, the DBZ score stuff. Haven't mm-hmm. gone much into DBS, just a little bit. I'm kind of waiting for that. That market to me just was just was too hot. You know, it was too expensive. Yeah. What it was unfortunately because I would have, I actually really like it type of thing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get in kind of early enough, so I moved into other things. I'm starting to get into like Weiss Schwartz, which I find interesting. I find yes. anime interesting, and I think that also from an investment perspective, I'm interested in like these anime stories and these characters are so um, so rich. Uh, I'm interested to see how kids connect with those over the years and how some of these collectibles might do in the long run. Um, it's so hard to predict that, you know, it, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be investing in any of that stuff for, you know, too bullishly. It's more something I think to watch, but I really, I really like those an- anime stuff too. So it's, it's kind of fun having cards of anime. I think, I think Weiss is a really cool product. Weiss Schwartz is a really cool product. So yeah, well, uh, there's probably more, more stuff too, but do you do any uh, Force of Will or Flesh and Blood or anything like that? Um, I have a tiny, tiny bit of Flesh and Blood. Mm-hmm. I also only have a little bit of magic. I, I, I have very little magic. Um, tiny bit of Flesh and Blood and uh, no Force of Will. I don't own any Force of Will. Um, I might someday. I just, I don't really know that that game too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's there's so many things. There's so many things to collect. So I, I'm with you because trying to evaluate the opportunity cost <laughs> of yeah. in moving your money from one thing to another. Um, yeah. I've definitely been feeling that right now. And honestly, for me too, I mean, I, I can definitely understand why you like to move in and out of markets. Um, just because I, I've been doing the same thing. I've not been buying anything Pokemon. Uh, lately, I haven't bought anything Pokemon. Mostly, I've been putting all of my money into Fortnite, uh, yeah. just because I think, like, I, I think compared to Pokemon right now, if I put that same amount of money, I don't think it'll grow as much um, in the next five years as Pokemon, which I think is, of course, you know, I, as much as Fortnite. I mean, which is, of course, always you know debatable, and it's always a risk that we're taking, but. Um, it's just been so much more interesting to me. And to your point about uh, Weiss Schwartz as well, um, I I don't have that much of that uh, of those types of cards, but I have been trying to buy it here and there. Like when when Rudy's got um, got a patron sale of a set that seems pretty interesting to me. And 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 to your point, I think it does have a shot. Not only because a and Rudy's mentioned this before, you know it it. These these boxes have shown growth over time, but also too, I've I get sometimes sucked into uh, YouTube Shorts and YouTube Reels and TikTok, and I just find myself sometimes in the neck of the woods where Gen Z really loves anime, and I think I think anime before you could not talk about whether or not you liked anime because it was just always weird and you were always like just considered a creep, right? Like when we were younger, at least at least for myself, it was weird. It was embarrassing to admit that you like to watch anime. But now it doesn't seem that way as much anymore. It seems to be more embraced by Gen Z. So who knows what will actually happen? But I feel pretty optimistic. So and I like it. So who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, it all has to do with 
with um I, i'm very much think that anime is going to be huge and they're going to be collectibles attached with anime the question is what collectibles so mm-hmm. will it even be cards so like when we talk about Fortnite, is it going to be cards that kids collect one day is it going to be like nfts of skins you know what you absolutely know? <laughs> is it going to be you know what like what and so i think that that that's always the risk in things. So I think with Pokemon, it's sort of like the cards have such a strong identity with mm-hmm. with it. You know, with Magic, obviously it's the cards. Yu-Gi-Oh, it was a card show, you know, a show with cards. So there's like that connection to it. Whereas like, interestingly with like DBZ, for a long time, it was like the toys. Sorry. <laughs> it was the toys and the figurines that were sort of the most expensive. Obviously, like Batman and Superman, I'm, I'm collecting, you know, I have like, these are like the first ever Superman cards from the 1940s. Oh, wonderful. You know, these, I just think these are so freaking. Oh, wow. But they're so much cheaper than the comic books because the comic books were the thing that, that really, um, they decided that, you know, that generation or whatever, multiple generations decided this was sort of the, the thing that we're going to chase or the thing that, that should be the most valuable. So you just sort of never know. Um, but as you said, we like it, so it's fun. And that, <laughs> and like that upside, like investment potential is like fun, but I would be like the more, the, the more risky something is just the more you have to be aware of like, yeah, probably need to like curb that spending. <laughs> Gosh, who does that though? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really like that you bring up that angle to it because what I find to be just so interesting when it comes to looking at these other brands, one of the reasons why Fortnite has just been so much more interesting to me is because there's like, to your point, Pokemon cards and maybe the video games, right? You know, which, you know, the video games and all that controversy aside, you know, those are the things like the cards and maybe the video games. Those yeah. are the things for Pokemon. But for other brands, it's to your point, it's 100% true. It's up in the air. And I think, too, what's really interesting. And I'm honestly, I'm really glad that you bought the you have the cards for, you know, uh, DC and, and, and like early, early, you know, superhero stuff was it's just because when you see different generations interacting with different brands and there's different touch points to those things, if you, you know, just pay attention to what how you, a certain generation might be consuming that kind of brand you can you know then at that point speculate so so with Fortnite, there's so many different generations that experience and touch the brand in so many different ways i mean even just from a skins perspective so let's say you were to look at the cards and try to figure out okay from these cards which ones are going to be popping right in 10 years the top 10 could totally flip on us just because of the newer generation coming in and saying, Hey, we actually liked this. And so, and so who knows, who knows the black Knight right now is the top guy, but he could become the fourth guy or the third guy, you know, I don't know. And that's, and that's, what's really interesting to me is kind of to, to look at those nuances and sort of place your bet. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully you're not, over leveraged or anything like that leveraged at all, <laughs> you know, making good financial choices, but it, it's, it's really interesting to kind of, you know, play those games and, and potentially win. So I don't know. Well, I mean, Fortnite, Minecraft, I mean, these things are phenomena like with kids, you know, and younger generations and, and multiple generations, you know, up into adults, but particularly, you know, I mean, 
the amount of money that kids spend on Fortnite and the the amount they're taking from their, their mom's credit card, right? I mean, if you think heard those stories. <laughs> of that gets interested in the cards and you know, you could see what what might happen. I mean, the reason I like stuff like this, or like, for example, like here's the number one of the set. So this right here, it's the first superhero card ever made in the whole Dude. world. So for me, I'm also a card historian. Hmm. You know, this card is 80 years old. And and it's, for me, it's beyond Superman. It's just an appreciator of cards. And that, so when we get into those types of realms, I think magic can have some of that as like this TCG that was, you know, such one of the first playable and, and you know, such a huge game, right? There, there are these additional sort of like historic things about these these IPs and franchises and, and specific items that I think are probably underestimated right now, but with more and more time, it sort of becomes more apparent because there's going to be so much, like there's going to be endless amounts of all this stuff. So what is going to make the thing you're into kind of stand out? Like what are going to be those qualifications to make it stand out of the test? And when you're really thinking about like long-term investment. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, I love that you bring that up because yeah. you sort of answered a question that I haven't even asked yet. And um, um, so, so one of my questions to you, and you've brought this up and you've talked about this and you've said when you buy something at, with the intent of it being investment, you want to build a moat or buy a thing that has a moat built around it. Yeah. And that is a great example. I was going to ask you, so how, how does one go about doing that? And, and honestly, probably one answer to that question would be, well, you want to look at things that are historic. And that is an example of something that is historic, to your point, going yeah. beyond Superman. Yeah, you know, I think in Pokemon, it's like, if it's a first ever appearance of a Pokemon to me could be a, mo if that becomes important to me, it's important mm -hmm. it might not ever become important to the broader hobby, you know, but for me, you know, moat, the term moat comes from the, you know, financial company stock world. And, and it, you know, Warren Buffett is someone or in different value investors, someone who famously talk about moats and not a financial advisor here, but <laughs> over and over, but the, the, the idea is basically what what gives the company or the asset a competitive advantage over other assets and why is it gonna why is it gonna do well over time? Mm -hmm. And so for for a card, it's gonna be because it has something about it that it's gonna be very difficult to compete with it. So with these newer sets, there's always gonna be another set. So what is this what is the alternative art? What's the thing? How is that going to compete with the shiny alternative art? How is that going to compete with like the sketch cards that are going to come out in a few years? Probably the one of ones in Pokemon alternative sketch, you know, this or that. It's like, well, like, I'm not sure how it's going to do against things like that. And when we look at, at, you know, comic books and these other types of hobbies, like there are lots of sets or lots of cards or lots of issues these types of things that were that had a lot of hype and FOMO and people really engaged with and loved when it first came out and then that completely died because it didn't it didn't have that and again to use that financial term <laughs> that, sort of moat, <laughs> that sort of thing about it that helped it withstand the competition for and really it's a competition for our attention it's a competition for our interest um and you know our interest in is going to go into other places and that's really that demand and then the other piece is supply and when you have a really right. low supply of something that really helps because you just don't need as much demand it, it, it creates a little bit more 
more safety because you're not as dependent on that demand always being there. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. And, and one of uh, my listeners had a question for you. So this question, uh, Pokemon Joush, <laughs> um, this one was your question that I wanted to bring up because I thought it was so good. And I think this kind of adds to what you've been talking about, but you know, what typically do you study when deciding to gain a position on a set or a specific item or a specific card. So that be anything, right? So since you collect in so many different verticals, uh, you, what else do you kind of look at on top of supply, you know, um, that uniqueness of the item? Uh, what else do you see and kind of like really get into the weeds in? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that for, for long, long, long term, I'm really just looking at, I have a video that I talk about like why are Pokemon, why do some cards have more value than other cards? And it basically goes into those, you know, taking some of the, the it basically takes the, what is it? Uh, um, older, rare, mint or better and just kind of expands on it and adds like three or four things to it um, that I think are all important. But at the end of the day, you kind of just have to like trust your your intuition or sense and take a bet because no one really knows what demand is going to be like and what people are going to be into. I mean, it's possible. It seems highly unlikely. It's possible that like people don't even like Watsi one day and they just like <laughs> Nintendo stuff. Right. And that like, yeah. this where just Watsi gets way overblown. And like the next three generations are like, we don't like that stuff. And we just like, you know, an alternative art. So the only thing we like, the only thing that's ever enjoyed. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's, it's probably extremely outlandish based on like what's happened in every other <laughs> hobby. It's not like, Usually the thing that's very, you know, important and the first and these types of things like always have the most value and, and, and exist throughout, throughout the entire, you know, hobby, but uh, in, ter in terms of being valuable and being um, and having that sort of high demand, but you just never know. You just never know. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's part of why demand scares me so much is it's just very hard to predict. It's very hard to predict demand, particularly in the short term and, when you're speculating on like modern stuff and modern fads and what all the YouTubers are talking about at, at any given moment, that's the most dangerous. That's the most dangerous. That's the most risky stuff to, to be, to be speculating on. But um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, FOMO definitely scares me. Um, it, it, it scares me, especially with people who are playing with money. They probably can't lose um or or playing with leveraged leveraged items um that that really makes me nervous um and 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 the one thing that i've always tried to tell people it's like okay so first off you know sit on it <laughs> sit on sit on it for a day and think about it and let me know if you feel the same way yeah. um because we've all been there where we've kind of made snap decisions and i think sometimes um you know if once you're more educated in a market those snap decisions and following that gut and following that in instinct is probably more accurate yeah. i say that in quotes you know but um but i mean really making sure that you're a student of the market is so like so freaking important and and so that's why it scares me when people who are newer get into something because you know if i i've had this conversation with pokegal a number of times you know um her being worried that you know those bad experiences can turn someone off of a hobby 
forever, um, which which definitely, you know, would scare me, too, because I want people to enjoy a hobby and come to it and, and feel safe uh, for the most part. But um, to your point about, um, uh, you know, about historic things and, and, and building a moat around your collection, if you are looking at it from an investment perspective, you can easily just look at the past, look at the oldest cards of all time, which are baseball cards, you know, the Honus Wagner and the Honus Wagners of, of those sets, you know, what are the Honus Wagners? Um, because that card is, you know, regardless how old it is, you know, even looking at your Superman card, it is, it's beyond baseball. It's, it's, it's the first card. It's a part of the very first printed, uh, uh, sports card sets from, uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to make sure I get these facts right. Uh, I think it was Allen and Ginter from like the 19th century, like the eight late 1800s. T206, the, the Honus Wagner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there are a lot of Hall of Famers in the T2. And then there are the, some even earlier sets like the Alan Ginter and, and some different sorts of things. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But the um, Honus, part of why the Honus Wagner is so expensive is because there was some sort of error where there weren't very many of that specific. So he was a good player, but there was it was also that there's very few of that card that exist. And mm -hmm. the, the it, T206, I'm not an expert by any means on, on this era or what's going on there, but there are so many players. It's a it's humongous set. There are a lot of variations of each one, but the Honus Wagner, there are, you know, a handful that exist in the world. Um, you know, we're talking, I think they're probably, I want to say like 15-ish copies graded across the oh. different grading companies. Okay. Um, you know, So he was the short print, so... That yeah, makes sense. You know, and I, I don't even, I don't off the top of my head know exactly what happened, but yeah, there was some, there was some error or something and they stopped production. I don't know, but. You know, and, and talking about short prints, one of the other reasons that also uh, Fortnite cards specifically get me really excited uh, is because, and, and that's probably the only modern thing that I am investing, I guess. Other yeah. than the fact that I do like it, um, but investing because of how short printed these things are compared to other big cards like the first edition Charizard um, and, and, you know, other other important cards from Pokemon, because when you look at the crystal shards of the first edition, uh, first edition, listen to me, uh, the Fortnite series one set, the very first set that came out, you know, in all reality, there's probably less than a hundred prints of each crystal shard card. Yeah. And probably when it, when you get down to the more, the epics and the legendaries, uh, the even rarer cards, you probably are looking at less than 500. So, I mean, in population total, not even, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, so just looking at those things, it's like, holy crap, numbers like that. I mean, shit with a brand as big as Fortnite, it's like, come on, man, this is the place where you got to be right now. If you like it. And if you're trying to park your money in something, so. Yeah, I mean, so many franchises, it's very interesting, you know, like Marvel, for example, they have like one of one cards in Marvel. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, they have, right, they have, they have the sketch cards, which are sort like one of one, but they're like, they're a bit hard to value because each one is an individual one by, by a special thing by an artist. But then they have like, you know, one of one that are sort of part, like parallels, like mm -hmm. what Sports does where they have this, the art of the base card, but they have it in like different rare parallels. And I think one sold for, tens of thousands or something recently whatever but, but you know it's and and obviously that's what sports has been doing for a while mm -hmm. 
And that's part of why sports cards are now, they're modern sports cards selling for millions upon millions of dollars. They're people pulling fresh out of packs, you know, at any time because um, they're these one of one autograph rookie patch of Luka Doncic or, you know, or, or now it's Lonzo Ball or it was uh, Zion Williamson, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Each year sort of has that, that rookie, one or two rookies that, that tend to be very, very expensive. So it's, um, it's interesting how to compare that to this sort of manufactured rarity to the, to the, you know, things that were not manufactured to be rare, like a base at Charizard, particularly an unlimited, but, you know, to a lesser extent, but still even in first edition where there are tons of that card in the world, nobody knows exactly how many, but certainly tens of thousands, right. Of that card printed um, and unlimited, you know, certainly many hundreds of thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands <laughs> uh, of that card. So it's very different. We compare it even to like Magic the Gathering when we compare it to like Alpha and, and Beta. Also, lots of those cards were destroyed and not kept in good condition. Same with Pokemon. But when, whereas when we look back to comic books, for example, there were a lot probably of Action Comics number one, the, the first Superman comic printed. But because it was so long ago, and because no one kept it, and because comic books degrade over time and don't really don't stay in good condition, and are probably much easier to much excuse me more difficult in a lot of ways to protect or keep completely pristine than one little card that absolutely. you're going to replace. Those, you know, there are only you know probably a hundred to two hundred of those that have been discovered, even though they were fairly mass mass produced. But Pokemon hasn't been around that long, so it's only twenty years versus the the you know the seventy years of of or eighty years now of of Action Comics number one roughly. So it's going to be interesting to see how something like a Charizard first edition ages with the, with the amount that there are in the world. And obviously there's such a high premium for, for the PSA tens. Will that always remain or will people not care so much about grading in the future? These are the types of things I think about and it's all risk. And, and the best way to avoid risk is just collect what you love and don't care about the money and just enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think that that should be a lot of what you're doing is just, just have fun and, and enjoy it. And I, I, I wouldn't be uh, for the most part, unless you're super interested in finance and investing and like, you know, all this sort of thing. And it's like super fun to you. I just wouldn't even like worry that much about that and just, just do it for fun. Um, But there is that potential. There's always that potential that, that this could be something very valuable and you're going to be, Awesome. You're, you help your family and you're, you know, our weird dorky, you know, yeah. hoarding is going to make us all rich, you know? So. Oh my gosh. I know. Right. You know, from 10, 10 years from now, going back into your socks drawer and finding, oh shit, I have $50,000 just sitting right here in cards that you've just kept and put away. Yeah. So it's definitely possible. I do think though, that when we look at these historical periods, no one thought it was a good investment. And that's the things that did well. So yeah. that should worry us a bit about what's happening right now. And people who are buying in and investing in it now. It doesn't mean it won't go up, but it's very different. It's part of why I like going after Superman and, and Batman and stuff, because no one our age knows these things exist. Right? I the definitely people, didn't know. I yeah, learned something people, new. <laughs> and I don't show them, Penny. Right? And, you know, the, the people... The people that know these exist are 60 year olds and and I'm talking to them on their websites, you know, and they're, they don't have social media. They don't, they're not like, they're not making videos on YouTube about these things and talking about these things. And I like that 
you know, cause they're really, there's still things out there that I think are really cool and historic that are really undervalued and under discovered and that more people would appreciate them if they knew they existed. Pokemon is not one of them. Anyone interested in this who has been on YouTube knows about what happened. Right. And, and, yeah. and that doesn't mean I don't think it's still investable and can't go up over time, but you just have to, I think that, that, I think that probably some people have to lower their expectations and, and find ways to make it sustainably enjoyable over time rather than looking for like that big jolt of making money or getting rich. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you because, you know, even experiencing that bat jump last year, you know, it, it kind of gives you a little bit of a high, um, yeah. you know, just to see all that winning, right? Because, you know, when we first started this, you you talked about how low you thought the cards were priced at the time for what they were and 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 the kind of place that they have in the hearts and minds of our generations. <laughs> and yep. so and so honestly like and I remember parts of that time because I haven't been collecting Pokemon specifically for that many years but I started I started buying Pokemon cards about 6 to 12 months prior to the actual jump, the boom last year. And, you know, those prices to see them today, to see all of your things, even just like common and uncommon first edition base set PSA 10 cards, like five X, like, like what the hell? <laughs> and, and I mean, and I mean, honestly, you know, to me back then, I wasn't smart. I was still learning things. So to me, you know, those prices of spending, you know, anywhere between 20 to 60 bucks on that kind of card was like, oh, that's too much, you know, for me. And I wasn't, I wasn't educated enough. I didn't understand. I didn't have the perspective. I didn't have uh, the years of, of uh, you know, price history in my head. And then I didn't also have the understanding of, you know, staying the course which is something that rudy's definitely taught me uh, but then also tempering that with you know actual logic in terms of okay how did a brand actually impact a generation i think you kind of have to temper those things um it, i now i can't really remember my point but i mean yeah it can get very it can get very addicting and which you know bringing addiction something that i wanted to bring up too because i saw your video on it and I honestly really appreciated it because I know of people that have left the hobby because they got addicted to the chase of like ripping open packs, spending, you know, hundreds, hundreds of dollars, just, just ripping open magic packs. Um, and that's real <laughs> and not, yeah. no one really talks about it. I feel like you might've been the only person, uh, that I think has talked about it that I know about. Yes. Well, um, yeah, it's an important topic, and and I do think that that it explains to me a lot of the higher prices people are paying on these box break opening channels. It's a lot of the same guys spending thousands of dollars a night. I've had a number of people, like at least six to ten, contact me over the last year, telling me that they're thirty thousand dollars in debt on one of these packs pack breaking channels, and they they just couldn't control themselves, and they're depressed and miserable. You know. I don't know how many, right? Like, like there are these types of stories. I don't know how widespread those stories are. They're certainly out there though, quite a bit. Um, and some of even the big collectors and big investors in the hobby have it, addiction issues, right? With this stuff. And, and it's, and it's also a, there's a compulsion behind it and, you know, it's, it's fun and enjoyable, but it can also be, it also can be, um, we get carried away. Um, 
So I think that Rudy's message of like, stay the course is great in, in terms of like in life, you should, you should find purpose and you should kind of stay the course on that. And there's going to be things that knock you off that purpose and knock you off your focus in terms of like, stay the course in like putting all of your money into like cardboard <laughs> doing that over and over again. I don't agree with that message as a smart decision. Um, I think that you have to understand Rudy is an extremely unique individual and also <laughs> has probably like $10 million outside of like an easy real estate and types of things, as well as like $20 million of product that even if it went down to like 5 million, he'd still be fine, like a hundred percent fine. And he also has so many relationships and a humongous Patreon base, patron base, which allows him to offload his, his product. So it's, it's far more liquid for him. He has a huge story. He has a huge, you know, YouTube. There's so many ways for him to sell and get off this stuff. And he also has all these relationships with PayPal and eBay. And I know he's been struggling with them, I think, or, or whatever. Yeah. Changing, but still, like all these things that save him money on the margins. And the fact that he can do it in such, he gets so much product and he buys such huge pallets. He also gets product at very low prices. Th these are, he has so many advantages over the, the average person who's like buying a few boxes and throwing it in their closet. You just have to be sort of aware of that. And also so much of the money that he's actually getting, he's probably putting into other assets, which he talks about. And, and I think would always, you know, encourage, right. We're not financial advisors, but, but it's Absolutely. what we do. It's what I do. Right. It's so I can just say what I do um, and what would make me feel comfortable. That being said, it's a fun ride. We'll see, we'll see where all these things go. And, and, um, and they could continue to go up, but it's very easy to be, to seem, if you always say just like buy everything and hold when everything's at an all time high, it's great. <laughs> if, <laughs> you had, if you had been a humongous, like, um, Hummel collector and you were, you know, uh, Hummel figurines and you were like, just buy and hold and keep buying and holding and stay the course, you would have been destroyed and probably Hummels aren't coming back as, as very valuable assets or all the Beanie Baby. There were Beanie Baby YouTubers and Beanie Baby, you know, it wasn't as big back then. So, but if Beanie Babies had happened now, you'd have a lot of those people, you know, so it's, it's, um, things look strong and there's, and, and the, the longer these markets stay expensive, the more prices get established and then the more it becomes like more of an established market. Um, mm -hmm. Versus a highly speculative market, meaning that prices are selling for very similar amounts over and over and over and over again for many, many years, which which is going to provide some more like price inertia and price stickiness very likely. Um, but yeah, I just think like, and I don't know about you, and I'd love to ask you a question, but like, and I know you're not like, you're not necessarily like super, super into Pokemon, but I just can't believe how much people are paying for for example, like Pokekite, like Japanese booster boxes, like $3,000 for booster boxes that are like four or five years old. Um, uh, it's crazy. You know, six, right? And then all of them on the English side, like we're talking like $2,000, $2,500. And we're talking about all these. I don't, I would never, even 30 years from now, I've never pay that much for a set like that as a collector. I, I just wonder what people think too, maybe in the comment section or out there who are watching, like it fe that to me just personally feels like mania. And one thing I always say is that 
I have a very hard time believing that anyone feels that strongly about those products as compared to the way that I feel and many others feel to the Watsi products that we grew up with as kids, because they didn't grow up with, they've only known these things for a few years. And many of the people I think who are dropping $3,000 have known these things for a few months, you know, and I've been connected to this product and, and I have memories of opening this stuff with my family and my friends when I was a kid and have all sorts of, you know, my parents are going through a divorce and I have all sorts of emotional connections to these cards that nobody could possibly have to these products that are selling for multiple thousands of dollars. So to me, it's like, why are they actually want, like what's happening and what's fueling the narrative that like people really want these things and they're really worth it. And I see people all the time, you know, buying those items and people talking about their great investments or the best investments. And um, I don't get it. I don't understand. Wow. Um, yeah. There, there's so many things there because I, I do, I do really love Japanese cards. They feel different. They just look different. They hit different, right? I mean, but when we're thinking about sets that are how many years old? You said four years old at that yeah, price point. Radiant, like the Radiant Collection is right, the one from Pokekion, and it's cooler in Japanese. Like I think the English one kind of doesn't look that good, and the Japanese mm -hmm. one is really cool. But let's even yeah. take CP6, where you can get the original arts of those cards and you can get them in Japanese, right? You can get base at Japanese that has all those arts. Now you can't buy a booster box. So I, there's this idea of like, people just want to open base sets so badly. Why? I, I honestly don't, I honestly don't understand. And, and to yeah. me, it's just been fueled by the influencers and by the prices. And when people see very expensive prices, they don't think, and they just, they just like, Oh, it should be that much. And so, I very strongly believe that these things cannot sustain themselves or, or that these other things have to go up more or something. But at the end of the day, there is a supply and there's how much supply of these things are left. And I don't mean to just pick on, on, on Pokekion and, and CP6. I just haven't looked at them today, but there's so many examples of these types of items that I guess for me as someone who loves Pokemon and has been in it and, and, and really enjoys modern Pokemon and likes it, doesn't understand how people can justify just as a collector spending that much money on an item that that really is not rare at all and i know guys who have hundreds of those boxes who are sitting on hundreds hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those boxes and they think it's stupid and what people are paying but they're can they're conflicted because they have a lot of it you know and they're making yeah. killing but it's it's interesting yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's so interesting. And I mean, to your point about the mania aspect of this, which, you know, and I think something that would, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on, you know, are, do you see parallels with what was going on in the nineties? Um, but I mean, so I'm sure those sets are super cool. Would never pay that price. Any, any, nope. And, and so for me, you know, I'm, so there are, parts of the Pokemon hobby that are modern cards that are absolutely investable, truly, right? So, you know, some of those more trophy type cards, which I, I don't know too much about, but, but, you know, when you look at those print runs, it's like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, Probably. like how, yeah. The print runs are great. I don't know if the history, like how they'll like do over time in terms of the narratives of them, but yeah, the print runs are great. Things like the Art Academy cards from 2015 or, or, you know, and every year they, they have a number of like full art trophy cards um, that, you know, have, have been given out in Japan for different tournaments that each have, you know, 200, 400, 1,000 made, you know, those types of things. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, so those cards, like, you know, if I was looking for something that I would think would be more expensive and that I'd have to pay a little bit would be obviously those. Right. But as an investment for me, and it yeah. could be wrong. Like that, like the thing is, is like people can end up disagreeing, but I just, I genuinely don't believe them. Like, I don't mm -hmm. believe that you want that for that much money compared to this. And, and if you do, I don't understand where that where that demand and desire is coming from for these things yeah like i would agree brand new pieces of cardboard that have cool flashy things on them but they're not they're not rare and they're not that important in the hobby yet and they can't be that important in your life because you haven't known about them for very long it's it's just it's Agreed. very hard for me to get there yeah i mean i mean i would put if, if i had 3500 to put down on something i would put it in maybe a key issue like a like a like a really I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know key issue prices off the top of my head, but something in the silver age, if I could afford it, you know, with right. 3,500 or, or something like that. I don't know. I, I would feel more, I would have to do a lot more research <laughs> on what I would do, but I wouldn't put it in that. I would definitely not put it in that. I'm, I'm with you on that. That just doesn't even feel right. I don't know. Maybe a few hundred bucks, but. Yeah. And that's my thing is like, you know, when you get into like, 500 600 dollars then it becomes like well okay it's not gonna break the bank that much and you might really like it but yeah I, I remember i mean i bought i bought my like you know just a couple years ago i mean really just like two years ago i bought some of my key cards in in the whole hobby for five thousand dollars four thousand dollars three thousand dollars like we're talking about like Each? the top yeah the okay. top 100 cards in the hobby and now people are paying for boxes that were mass produced that are only a few years old and they're paying that much for, for that, that same price. Yeah, that just seems way too risky. Staggering to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to open something to, to buy sealed product at that price level to, to gamble. I mean, cause that's what you're doing here. If there's a card, if you're buying something like that, especially to open it up, and get a card and chase something like yeah. just buy the card, <laughs> just yeah. buy the card at that point. It was way too risky. And I mean, on top of that, the other thing too, you know, an idea, you know, Rudy planted this idea in my head, but he doesn't go after single Pokemon cards like that because those populations will still go up over time. You don't know when those populations will stop because people are continuing to buy boxes. And because we don't know how many boxes there are. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, you know, so so naturally from that perspective, if you were trying to, you know, mitigate your risk, you would want to stick with sealed. But even at that, no, I, I no, thank you. No, sir. I, I, I can agree with you on that 100 um, percent. And I mean, I guess to your point, too, going back to like the addiction of opening a thing, the addiction of chasing the thing, the addiction of winning. I mean, when people do box breaks for investment it is a gamble. It's fun. And, and, and if you, and I mean, there's a whole bunch of different box breaks you can get into. You can get into really, really cheap box breaks that are fun. And you're like, you know, supporting your, you know, your local content creator. I love that, you know, supporting your community, totally. but yeah. yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you're doing a Logan Paul box break or whatever, you're, you're doing it for a different reason. You're, you're, you're doing it for the exposure and the experience and everything that comes with it. But there's this place, there's this big place in the middle of those two extremes where it just does not feel safe to me at all. I would never participate <laughs> at all. <laughs> never. Just cause it just feels risky. It feels like a gamble. I would rather just buy the car that I'm chasing. If there's something great that I'm chasing, there's gotta be other reasons 
for me than just, oh, you know, I might pull the number one card of that set. You can do it for the gamble, for the fun of the gamble. You know, I like opening packs. I I really enjoy it. One thing I do is I open up Korean stuff. Oh, interesting. Super cheap and it's super fun. So like I opened up like a ton of Korean Yu-Gi-Oh recently. You can buy a Korean Pokemon, like all that stuff, super cheap. It's the same exact cards with the same exact artwork. And they cost like $20 a box. And I like, I'm opening LOB, right? Legends nice. of Blue Eyes for $20. And I'm pulling out, you know, Blue Eyes White Dragons, like the originals from 1996. That oh, that's if fun. You to, if you were to buy that box, it costs you $9,000 for just for, for an unlimited and, you know, whatever it is for, for, for the um, first edition. And those, those, that 9,000 might be what it used to be. I don't know exactly what it is now. Price are fluctuating. But, <laughs> um, right. But, you know, it's just like $20 versus, you know, I mean, it's a humongous difference, right? So I, I think that that also is signs that people have kind are kind of a little bit manic to me, like that it's yeah. not being driven by collectors, that it's being driven by money and speculators. Because so for, I think when you're investing, you really want to let your collector understanding also guide you. And when you see something, when you really know a market and you really know what people like and why they like it, and you see something that just makes absolutely no sense to you, you could be wrong because <laughs> yeah. you might be in the minority, right? Like you just might be in the minority of collectors. But it's better to be wrong, I think, in that way and not go with it than just follow in it, what an influencer told you when you didn't understand why, why, why did you buy that Japanese box? Because someone told you that it was great and that you should buy it. You know, not because you actually felt that or believe that. And I think that's happening left and right right now. So mm-hmm. and I see it. I see I watch these streams and I see it just constantly. Drives me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the one thing that's helped me the most, other than the fact that I started a podcast which allows me to talk to people who are smarter than me, who have taught me so many things. But I think the fundamental exercise that I always kind of go back to and I think people can really take away from is, okay, if you're looking at the sold listings for things on eBay, right, and you see a card that randomly sold for this price, you know, when you ask yourself, why did this card sell for that price and do research, I think that is the most impactful thing that you can do to, you know, for your learnings, for your understanding, and then building that intuition based on actual fact of, of data and things that you're seeing. I mean, I mean, that's so impactful. And it, and, it, and it sounds like you do a lot of that yourself. You know, if you see like this random thing pop and you're just like, well, why is that card so expensive? Why is that card seemingly so valuable? You know, then you can start you know, being a little bit of a detective, I guess, and, and following leads and, and, and building a story. Yeah. And, you know, you get to a point where, you know, hopefully you feel like you know what you're doing to some extent. And then you just, cause you're so steeped, like, like you've, you've, you've looked at all these different hobbies, you've immersed yourself in knowledge, you've listened to people from multiple generations talk, and then you just sort of go out there and, you know, make decisions, you know, look for value. And then you got to figure out, you got to set your own goals. Like, are you trying to flip and make money? Are you trying to build a big collection? And that's why you're being really careful with your money. That's sort of really where I'm coming from fundamentally. Or or do you not care? And you just want to like, you don't want to <laughs> worry and have that anxiety. And you just want to buy stuff that like looks cool and then move on to the next thing. <laughs> you know, I think the problem with that, right, is that you're going to be left, you're going to probably spend a lot on this hobby and not be left with like that much value. But if that's okay with you, who no one can no one should be uh, gatekeeping anyone 
on how they want to appreciate it and, and enjoy mm-hmm. the hobby. But where it gets tricky is when I feel like people actually might be happier doing something else, but I feel like they're being pressured or they're being coaxed or they're being told that it's actually better to be this way. Mm-hmm. I think super interesting magic is like, I feel like collectors are bullied in magic. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's super weird. Like there's a lot of weird <laughs> gatekeeping in magic. There's a lot of gatekeeping in Yu-Gi-Oh too. I actually think there's, I think Pokemon is actually healthier. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Reddit boards and hobbies. I don't know. How much do you go into these other things? I don't know how familiar you are, but. Yeah. Those communities I haven't, so I haven't experienced the Yu-Gi-Oh community at all, but I've experienced the magic community to the side, kind of to the side. And, and that just, it's, I agree with you. Very bullying, very like, you know, not integrating cards, a very, a very different mentality that when I, kind of moved more into pokemon it just felt like a, a breath of fresh air because <laughs> yeah, it's so friendly or like the dbz score community like you would grade a card and people would be like why would you ever put it in plastic you know it like, sounds like a comic book collector to me <laughs> why would you comics are meant to be read <laughs> like you know i mean but it's this feeling well now you can't like play it and like put it in a deck and like that's what they're for and it's made for kids you know you get these like <laughs> weird like like what's wrong like you should be happy that people are enjoying things that you enjoy. And just because they enjoy it in a slightly different way, you know, it's very strange and it's all and a lot of mm-hmm. it's, can I swear? I'm, I won't swear, but you can a lot, go ahead. A lot of it's just bullshit, yeah. right? Like if these people don't actually feel that way. They, mm-hmm. and the funny thing is these people are, most of these people are actually collectors and per- masquerading as players, but they want the rarest version. They want this or that in their deck you know, there's this collecting element, but they're not like allowed to just like grade their cards and also like enjoy the feeling of like getting a mint pristine version of the one that they really want. It's, and I, you know, and, and I talk to some people and I'm like, like, dude, just like do do it. You enjoy it. (laughs) It's the magic modern cards graded that you like, get the chase cards graded if you want. And, and I think a lot of people want that. And I honestly, I think what magic is doing pairing up with these other IPs and moving in maybe a more collector direction with some of these things, you know, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if that spurs on and maybe some people coming from Pokemon and some other places spurs on, you know, more of a collector mentality that isn't just based on like how playable a card is, is how much it's worth. It's also the character, right? Mm-hmm. The, the character. So like in a Dungeons and Dragons mix or, or, you know, whatever they're they're like the the um what are they going to do lord of the rings right they're gonna they might right. be a character that they that people really like and collect or a cool looking card that that they grade like in pokemon rather than just valuing playability and i think it's i think that where a lot of that animosity comes from is like we don't want our cards to be expensive right we don't want these boost rocks to be expensive we want them to be cheap i think it's like the Tolarian community college like there's some of that like a narrative right in all of that the ironic part is that it wouldn't be the playable cards that probably would go up in value a lot of the time. Like if people were just allowed to collect like the cool arts and the things that like they, you know what I mean? So it would not just the dual lands or the mocks, you know, (laughs) it actually could, you know, so I I don't know. I, it's very interesting when you move from one community and you really, you know, study a lot of other things and you, you see the narratives that are created that impact the value of things. And in each hobby, it has their, there are these own narratives that are created by like the experts in the hobby or the, or the trusted people or the people we should listen to. 
rather than people just like listening to themselves and what makes them happy and where they find value. And, and yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Yeah. Oh man. Th- there are so many things there because 100% there's, there's absolutely that, that level to that. Um, uh, gosh, I don't even know where to go. What's really it's interesting. Ability at all. Right. Cause for me, and, and I just want to make that clear for anyone listening, like, like I, the, pe- the fact that people like, like I want every person who plays Pokemon or plays magic to be able to get cheap versions of the cards to play and hang out with their friends. Yeah. Like that's, that's awesome. And I would hate for my collectability or my wanting collectors or more valuable items to affect players in any sort of negative way. And I, I would agree. imagine everyone feels that way. So, but the company can figure out ways of, of, of doing both, of trying to achieve both. And it's sort of on the company, I think, to create both of that. But also on the on the collector base to not be bullied by some of these players that I see out there, you know, that like it's OK, like you, you can collect, you can enjoy and it doesn't need to like ruin the playability or, or <laughs> it's really strange. Yeah, to me. I, I understand. I understand that completely. And I mean, to yeah. your point about collectability, I mean, we're starting to get to the point where magic itself, for example, is starting to get really old and and, you know, having that conversation of when to get cards graded i mean you know of course like it's it you want to pick cards that can potentially roi da, 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 all that bullshit but honestly when someone asks me whether or not they should get a card graded i'd be like okay how long are you trying to hold this for because encapsulation is probably the best way you can keep your card in the condition that it's currently in so i mean from that perspective if it's a card that's just really precious and important to you just do it. I mean, now it's a little bit different because grading is more expensive now. So, you know, it just depends on what your budget is. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, for these old alpha beta, you know, unlimited, uh, beta dual land, like all of these, all of these different cards, um, when you're looking at preservation of those things, like, that is okay. And and so to your point, I hope that the culture kind of change, changes. And I hope that as people sort of enter these the Magic the Gathering uh, community more, because I think that's what's going to happen. Because like Fortnite is doing a collaboration with Secret Lair. Street Fighter is doing a collaboration with Secret Lair. Um, I don't know when those are coming out, but um, I see more people going to Magic rather than Magic going to Fortnite or Street Fighter. And and I could be wrong on that, but I kind of see that wave sort of happening, yeah. things going in that direction. So hopefully they can kind of encourage more of those things in the community. And there's always going to be people who are going to feel the way that they feel. And that's okay, you know. So just, I don't know, just don't bully people. <laughs> yeah. Just do what you got to do. <laughs> it makes me so happy when people are, ha- when other people are happy and enjoying themselves with this stuff. Like it's awesome, yeah. right? Like, like if you're if you're upset that other people are having a good time in this hobby like probably a good time to like have a little bit of self-reflection of like what's like what's going on like mm-hmm. where do you like you know what and maybe take a little bit of a step back and a break like when there's so much resentment towards the hobby or towards people in the hobby who are just like enjoying themselves now that's very different than resentment or irritation or anger towards people taking advantage of people in this space yes you know yes. and so and i understand it can be hard to tell the difference for people and that's part of it too and i've seen a some people get attacked like this week in the Pokemon space, for example, who, who, in my opinion, do not deserve it, right? These these types of things. When there are other people who get constantly praised who I think have done a far more questionable things. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's 
but it's it's the reality of like nobody knows who anybody is that well until you really talk to them a lot online or you see them in like these longer form podcast type things so you know it's it's there's a lot of mistrust a lot of distrust and it'll work itself Mm -hmm. but i i agree and you know this is not a question that i planned on asking but we're kind of in this this realm where it might be a, a good time to ask it but from your perspective as a content creator, this is something that I've been spending a little bit more time thinking about. You know, I mean, I'm not big like Leonhard or Gary or, you know, these really, really big accounts that that can really move the needle on some things, I think, um, when it comes to the market. I'm, I'm not a, a creator, content creator like that, so I don't think I can move any kind of needle. But like to some extent, I do see a little bit of the influence that I've had so far and um, you know, just on, on individual people, they reach out like, hey, I started buying Vendied series more because I saw your cards and I thought they were cool. And so, you know, yeah. boom, like a consequence. Right. Um, and I've been really thinking about the content that I put out and and I've been trying to really reflect on what is responsible content. And I don't know the answer to that question, but I feel like your feedback could be really interesting because you may or may not have the same thoughts, you know, as a, as a creator trying to be responsible for people. And, and I don't know, do you think about that? And, and how does that affect what content you put out? Yeah. I mean, it's the one thing that, that upsets me a lot. And, and it's why I've just, I've like thought about closing down my channel, like a number of times throughout the year. It's just like, how do I talk about cards and my opinion without, without, changing things or affecting the market so if i talk negatively about these sets like i don't mm-hmm. want my opinions you know to necessarily shape that narrative i don't want like i want and i think it's part of why i think you have to trust you have to try to make good arguments and then trust on some level that people are going to be persuaded by your arguments and not by your status right so you don't want like if people think that I'm an expert in something or that I'm knowledgeable, you don't want them to just listen to me because of my status. Or let's take a much better example, right? Leonhard or PokeRev, like people who are really, you know, at the, at the you know, like you and I, you know, small, we, ought, we might have some influence over a certain number of people, but, you know, larger content creators who there are, and maybe also have a lot younger fan bases who have yes. less and, and are more going to be persuaded by what someone says. To be honest, I think a lot of maybe my fan base and maybe yours too are probably a little bit on the older side who enjoys this type of content. So there's probably a little bit less of like, you know, they're just going to tell me to shut up if they disagree. <laughs> like, yes. you know, I don't know if they probably worry quite as much, but when you have lots of kids, it becomes, you know, more impressionable and mm-hmm. more impressionable also with fame. And the bigger you are too, the more fame you're going to sort of have. And then people are going to not maybe do a, as good of a job of like listening to you like they would listen to anyone and probably assume that you're smarter and more talented and and know things that other people don't know and have more expertise than you than you actually might and so keeping it to those arguments is really important um but for example like you like i have huge impact i've had a i've had impact on a few cards that i've talked about and i've, I've tested it out a couple of times and i oh, think wow. that it's also about how much of a card exists so like the part of the thing about like these modern channels is there's so much modern product that people like telling people about the modern product there's so much of it 
it certainly has an effect. I think Evolutions was a hundred. Uh, if 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 Leonhart and Pokey Rev had said this set sucks, and we've been saying it sucks for a while, and we've been bored of it for years because we've been looking at it, it would have completely <laughs> changed the narrative on that set. And it's not their job to say that, and I think a lot of people really enjoyed it. But instead, there was a narrative built by them, built by the whole community, by so many people that like we love this, we love this. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, I think that so in some cases with like that it can have, I think, move those bigger markets. But I think for the most part, you actually have to be, it's more dangerous on trophies. It's more dangerous on mm. like, like very, like rarer things. Like, honestly, like the reason I've never talked about these, there are about 150 of each of these cards in the pop, each card in the set. So if you just had like a couple, like if 15 to 20 people who launched this were like, Oh my God, those are amazing. And I have, a, and they have a lot of money and they, it could double the market in a night. Absolutely. Double the market because the market cap isn't that big on these items, right? So so it's that type of thing that, that so I'm very careful. I don't talk about things like this for the most part. Or we're going to see how it goes on this. But, <laughs> but I, I, and I want to because I'm so, because I love, I, there's so many things I want to share and talk about that I don't, because I don't want people to, I try to like teach a man to fish instead of show them exactly what to do. So instead of like, like, I want you to like learn the lesson, like part of why I showed us, right, to teach the lesson or give context. I'm not trying to say this is the exact thing you should buy or the exact one. And but it's it's tough. And and I'm not sure that there's you can only kind of do your best with it, I guess. Um, yeah. And it's why yeah. I'm in my apology video recently, because I'm sure that my opinions have negatively impacted people and the like the things I've shared. And, you know, when you're an influencer, you're going to negatively impact people. It's just mm -hmm. the reality. Like you're going to upset people. You're going to say things that hurt people. You're going to give opinions that people take and it doesn't work out for them or it, you know, and that's just, it's a numbers game. You know, you just hope that like 95 to 99% are, you know, being, are, you know, that you're positive in their life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. And then that's, and that's the crazy place that, that we're kind of in because we, uh, so, so for me, starting a podcast and being able to connect with people I've I'm an I'm an extroverted introvert right so I like to be at home I like to chill I don't mind being by myself I'm really cool with that um and and then especially with COVID being around and your ability to connect with people has now shifted right from in person to to more internet and 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 to be honest I swear to God I've never felt so connected in my life other than right now because I found people that I can have endless conversations with on this shit we will never get old we'll never get tired of it it's always going to be interesting and so you know so we want to talk about these things. We want to show what we have. We're proud of what we have. We put time and effort and work and risk into getting a lot of these things. It's we love sharing, right? So it's a it's a place. <laughs> it is, you know, and I and I think that it's it's um yeah, it's just about it's just about trying to be as clear as possible and you know aware of those things and conscientious and. And hopefully the audience and people can be kind and understanding. I do, I do think that there's a lot, there's a bit of a, some people are getting some pushback right now in the community, for example, that I think is unfair. And I think that like people who are selling are also sharing opinions and, and it, it gets very dicey. Right? I mean, this is part of the reason why I don't, I don't make my eBay account public or any of my selling accounts or buying accounts public. 
I don't want people to like know what I'm buying and selling. And I don't want, and I don't want people to sell to me because of my, or buy from me because of my status in the hobby. So, um, um, so I mean, I have sold to certain people who watch my channel who have contacted me on Instagram, but not that, that much, probably only 10 to 15 times have I done that. And, you know, and for me, all of that is about that feeling of now, I think the other way is really good too. And I've talked to like squeaks about this. Who's like, I'm just going to be totally transparent with everything. So people know that I'm walking the walk and talking the talk. And so everyone can see exactly what I'm doing. And I think that there are pros to that as well. Cause then, you know, the person is actually doing what they're doing. The con though, is that everyone sees what you're doing all the time. And it might <laughs> yeah. be tra- following what you're doing and doing exactly what you're doing or, you know, or, yeah. or so it's, it, I don't know. I really don't know yeah. what the solution to that is. Um, but I think having some, like most of the content creators, like the vast, vast majority are doing this just because they love it and they're super passionate and they want to be part of the community and part of the conversation and are not doing it to like get one over on anyone. There mm-hmm. are lots of easier ways to get one over on someone than like build a YouTube channel. But it, <laughs> it doesn't mean that I, when I don't cringe. <laughs> You know, yes. a number of times I hear people say things and I'm like, oh, like that's terrible advice in my opinion. Or like you're, you've been in this hobby like six months and you've never bought or sold anything. And you're like telling thousands of people who watch you like what to invest in, you know? Uh, it, ugh, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I really appreciate that because I mean, yeah, I mean, that that's the, to your point, that's the only thing you can really do. Just be as genuine as you can. Just be as forthcoming as you can, as transparent as it makes sense for you. Um, and then hope, like you said, a numbers game, hope that it, it works out and the people that you impact are positive. <laughs> yeah. So, And if you try to, as I said before, if you try to have any impact on anything, you will have a negative impact also. You're yeah. not going to have a positive impact in everything you do in life. So I, I think that that's something I learned kind of fairly early on in my adulthood. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, these types of things. So whenever mm-hmm. you try to have a positive impact, like it hopefully will be more positive or, you know, and you can continue to build on it. But part of that's that just understanding and expectation. I think humility of your best intentions are going to hurt someone or going to be perceived in a certain way by someone that has a negative effect on them. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't win that battle. And I think what's tricky, and this is probably a really good message for influencers and YouTubers out there in general, there can be this like, I've failed if I have any downvotes on my video, or I've failed oh, wow. if anyone doesn't like what I'm doing or takes it negatively. And that really isn't true. And it's really impossible that everyone is going to get your message because almost every content creator is making it because they want people to like it. They want people to enjoy it right? They like, it's coming from that good place. And then it hurts when people are like, I hated it, or, you know, this or that, or get really angry, you know, but it's just, it's just unrealistic that everyone is going to take your content and appreciate you in the way that you're really trying and working really hard to, to do. And, um, but that doesn't mean that you're failing or you're not, you know, success is probably that 90% or that 95%. (laughs) That that really is what success looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with you there. And, you know, another thing too, with this conversation of, you know, how much of your collection you show, what kind of content you make, what, what, what you wrap around with, with your content, you know, yeah. you've mentioned before that you don't show the best pieces of your content too. Also because of the fact that 
people will hit you up wanting to buy when you're not ready to buy. And, and, and when you had said that first, I'm like, Oh, but that, but man, that really sucks because if you're proud of of the best stuff that you've got, right, you want to show it and talk about it. And, and, and just recently though, I've really come to actually like understand that from my own personal perspective, because I've had someone, and I mean, they're obviously a cool person, you know, coming up to me wanting to get a particular Fortnite card that I have. And it's something that I've said a number of times that, you know, I think I'm just going to hang on to it. And, 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 you know, it just, they, they want it really bad. And so they're trying really hard to, to make a deal happen. And I think at this point, like, you know, to me in my head, if you really want this card, you have to give me a ridiculous deal, like something that's absolutely obscene just because I want it. So that's kind of where we're at. And, and so to your point, it's easier just to not share those bits of your collection because you don't have to, you know, you're not in those situations um, yeah. with people uh, because, you, you know, you you value the person like like they have an amazing collection. So they're a great collector, you know, great to do business with and being a part of a really great, you know, closing out of a master set in, in my case, in, in that particular, you know, situation. But at the same time, um, like you don't want to be an asshole. You know, like, like I want to treat people with respect and be friendly because I don't have a reason to be, you know, nasty to someone. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I need to kind of set a boundary. And I I don't know if that's the right word here in this situation, but, but I mean, my personal opinion is that I think it's totally, I think it's okay to reach out to me, to anyone. If, if we have a card in our collections that, that we, that you really want once, (laughs) say you know no i'm really not looking to sell it you know maybe you could reach out again and say you know make an outrageous offer you know but then it's like it gets to the point where it's like you know like i've had people like i just will i've had to just ignore people because they just they just will keep keep you know asking over Mm -hmm. and and things like that very rarely very yeah usual so that's one reason I don't share. The other reason is I don't want people, I don't want to impact the market. I don't want people to see exactly why I bought a bunch of one card or this or that. And I buy du- doubles and duplicates and I have 10 of some card, you know? Ooh. So, right. So things like that. So it's, it's, you know, I think it's, um, it's that too. And I, I don't mm-hmm. want, I don't want to, um, for my competitive advantage and also to, to artificially impact the market. I don't want to make that some, a, a lot is public. Like, it's not like I have so many things that I'm, that I'm, that I'm, you know, holding, I mean, I'm holding back. I mean, I have something like 20,000 PSA cards or something, you know, PSA cards right now or 25,000 or something. So I have, I have so much stuff that I've never showed, but not very many things that are like crazy, you know, high end stuff. A lot of it's, a lot of it is diamond and pearl, you know, original Nintendo EX era. Like I have a lot of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, still, that number is crazy. I mean, like, <laughs> how do you store everything? Like, how, how do you, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm in a room right now where I'm sorting tons of stuff and I just have <laughs> all over the place. I have like three different levels. <laughs> I, I put my, my most expensive stuff in these, these, um, like Goliath cases, um, and or, in 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 separate more like um uh you know like secure box or you know or or safe or more more secure spaces then i have like black 
wooden boxes for my sort of next level stuff. Most of my like complete, you know, PSA 10, PSA 9, first edition hollow type stuff. Like that's the type of stuff that tends to go in those type mm -hmm. of cases. The level X's, lots of EX's, gold stars, crystals tend to go in, in those. And then I have white boxes for things that are like under, you know, three, four hundred dollars. So okay. that all the slabs are kind of under that. And and a lot of those slabs are only worth $20 before $40, $50. They're all now like, you know, 200 300 It's just the way that the market, you know, moved. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I've sold some, but I also potentially want to open up a card museum one day or, or some sort of. Uh, oh, okay. So I, I'm also in the back of my head. I'm, you know, like I'm accumulating these like really cool tops boxes, you know, just oh, like. Oh, that's stuff, fun. You know, yeah. For people that know this is a cool Batman one. But I'm creating <laughs> a lot of this stuff in parks. I wanna I wanna basically build one day the Mile High. If you heard of Mile High Comics, I wanna do what Mile High Comics did, but for cards. Uh -huh. uh, a mil they have like a million comics there, and it's like uh this incredible place for pe for people who love that stuff. And I wanna I want people to be able to come there and I can like, you know, teach them about all these different cards from all these different eras and the history and um, I think that, that, that's a, I like setting goals and projects. So that's, that's like a long-term life project that I, I that love I, that I have that I'm hopefully we'll get around to doing, but you know, <laughs> family and things like that might. <laughs> wow. That is so cool. I, I really love that. I mean, there is the, uh, the sports museum in Florida. Oh my God. I can't remember what it's called. Sports Immortals, something like that. You were talking about like millions of dollars worth of just historic, sports yeah. memorabilia it's a it's a lovely place i mean i mean i've never been actually i'm talking like i've been there i've never been there but it from the website it looks like the shit that they have is amazing um i i love that idea because you know again it also it it's archival and it's interactable i think too it makes it more personable and i think yeah. it, it helps just spread information which is what i especially love um it just helps people educate. Information and sharing is what is what grows a hobby and is what keeps a hobby interesting and, and engaging for people.